Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, this morning, this is the third in a short series uh, targeted to men. I received, uh, I think I was talking to Diane Brooks this week, and she said, I've gotten so much out of this men's series. And certainly God's word cuts across uh, all of fabrics of society and, and, and doesn't uh, differentiate between men and women. But sometimes it is helpful to call out uh, uh, specific groups of people, and in this series, it has been men. Three weeks ago today, we talked about man's most important relationship, which is uh, man's relationship with God, a man's relationship with God, and last week, we talked about a man's relationship with his wife, and today, we'll talk about a man's relationship with his children. The third most important relationship in our lives as men is our relationship with our children, and we will talk about that today. And so we come to Ephesians 6, and in the book of uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul has been dealing with different relationships, and in Ephesians 6, he gets to the place of talking about a man, he's talked about a man's relationship with his wife, a wife's relationship with her husband, and then he gets in Ephesians 6 to talk about a man's relationship with his children. And as he does so, he gives really just three basic principles. And so if you're a kid in here today, you got to listen up because we can't talk to daddies without talking to kids. And so the first uh, principle that, uh, that he gives is for kids to obey their parents because it's the right thing to do, he says. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It is simply the right thing to do. Now, what turns on that is the word obey. The word obey is the interesting operative word here because the word obey, the word picture in the Greek that you don't see in the English, means to open the door immediately when somebody knocks on it. Earlier in the service, uh, in the early service, we, had, we have a kids' worship service next door. We had all those kids over. And so I said, the, basically what this principle means is when your parents tell you to do something, you do it the first time. And they should only have to tell you, and all the kids down front said, once. And that is the principle, is that you ought to respond as kids to your parents the first time they say something to you. You, uh, someone has said delayed obedience really isn't obedience at all. There's this hesitancy between the uh, request and between the response. And that hesitancy suggests that there is this maybe ever so slight amount of, well, I really don't have to do what they are saying that I do. Why does this matter? Let me mention just a couple of reasons that this matters. Early in your children's lives, you will knock on the door of their behavioral hearts, meaning that you will uh, speak to them about specific behaviors that don't have significant ramifications if they do or do not do them. But as they get older, that will transition. You will begin to knock on the door of your children's spiritual hearts. You will knock on that door and you will have the opportunity to talk to them about matters much more important than picking up uh, after themselves or uh, 
uh, uh, not throwing food at the dinner table. And the reality is, if you knock successfully on the door of their behavioral heart, you will be most likely to knock successfully on the door of their spiritual heart. If you consistently discipline your children over simple behavioral issues, you will most likely be more effective to bring into their world the reality of Christ and the gospel, uh, which is of most importance. There's another factor. If your kids learn to respond to a knock on the door the first time from you, when God comes knocking on their heart's door, they're more likely to open it to him. And so this uh, reality, kids, is critically important. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, The second basic principle, and these are super basic principles, but the second basic principle is honor your father and your mother, honor your dad, In our case, speaking to daddies today, honor your dad because it pays. It's interesting that Paul uses two different words here. He uses the word obey in the first and then honor in the second. Why? They're two different ideas. The word obey refers to actions and the word honor refers to attitude. When you obey your parents, you simply do what they tell you to do. But every parent in the room has known when your kid has obeyed you and didn't want to do it, right? You tell them to do something, they're like, okay. And they head off to do it. Kids, when you do that, you might be obeying your parent, but you're not honoring them at all. As a matter of fact, you are dishonoring them during your obedience, And so parents, we don't go for just obedience. We don't go for, uh, oh, I could get, you know, my my kid to do a certain trick. I could get my kids to sit up straight and do all of this in this certain environment, and I figured all of that out. That's simply not enough. We go for attitude. You want your kids to respect you. Your kids must learn to honor you as you are. Honor them. They must learn that. And as you discipline them, and that is an attitude because it pays. How do we know it pays? Notice what Paul says. This is the first commandment with the promise. What is the promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. When Moses gave the commandments, he gave this commandment, and the commandment came with the promise. And the promise is, if you honor your parents, it will go well with you. You will live long in the land. This opportunity to, to, to continue to live, fatherlessness has created significant deficits in our culture today reading a book right now by Eric Mason. And in that book, he has an entire chapter called Daddy Deprivation. Daddy Deprivation because in our culture today, dads are conspicuously absent. Another little book that we have back in the media center by Truett Cathy called It's Better to Build Boys Than Mend Men. In this book, Cathy talks about some of the realities of fatherlessness. Check out these statistics on the screen. 63% of 
of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from homes with no dads. 71% of high school dropouts, 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. And 85% of youth in prisons grew up without a daddy. The role of dads is absolutely critical. Men, your role in your family is irreplaceable. Our culture may say, oh, we can, we can reorganize the family this way and reorganize it that way. No. God has so designed you. And do you know, just in the past two weeks, I've, I, I've talked with two different adults. These are grown, successful people who are reeling from the absence of their dad still. They can't get over it. They're struggling to process. Daddies, you are in a significant place of influence. Consider the, uh, the, the uh, battle that these folks face. Check out this uh, next slide. Pull that up for me, Josh. Children from fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide, are 32 times more likely to run away, are nine times more likely to drop out of school and are 20 times more likely to end up in prison. We have quite a few public school teachers and principals in this place who could testify to this right there. When they begin to work with kids and those kids are coming from fatherless homes, all of a sudden they're working with a kid who's having to swim upstream. God has so designed it, dads. You are so critically involved in your kids' lives. Your kids desperately need you. Say, so, Jerry, so what should I do? A couple things. If you're a dad, and right now you're just way, way busy, so busy that you're missing these key times with your kid, your kids, adjust your priorities. Look at your schedule and say, okay, kids have got to come first. After my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, kids have got to come first. I've got to find some key time to spend with my children. Some of you in here are grandfathers. And as grandfathers, you have the opportunity to influence the fathers of your grandchildren. Do that. When you see him getting it right, tell him. When you see where he could improve, tell him graciously and lovingly. Bring him in. And if you happen to be a grandfather in a fatherless kid's life, step in and step up and let God use you in a tremendous way in that kid's life. Uh, the third principle speaks directly to dad's. And this third principle comes from verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is directly 
addressed to dads in Ephesians 6. This doesn't mean, although it could be applied to us, fathers and mothers, in the text, it literally is directed to dads. And the question is why? Why would Paul only address dads in this? Why wouldn't he say, dads and moms do not provoke your children to anger? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One is, as men, we are more prone to push our kids. Not always, but we usually are the ones who lose our cool the quickest. We're usually the ones who struggle the most to uh, have patience when we need to have it. And so it's addressed to men. But there's a second reason. And the reason is that when Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, there was a Roman law under which they operated. And the Roman law stated this. It stated that a man had sole authority in his home. So much so that if uh, the man and his wife, if she had a child, the midwife would take that child and lay the child at the foot of where the man was sitting or standing. If the dad reached down and took up the child, then the child stayed in the home. If the dad did not pick up the child, they would take that newborn baby down to a place called the town forum and leave the child there. And others would come and pick up that baby, and that child would be raised either as a slave or a prostitute, all at the whim of the dad. The dad ruled his house in such a way. So when we read this, we go, okay, dad sometimes can be a little angry, and Paul's addressing that. Paul is going completely counterculture here, isn't he? He is saying Christianity says Christian dads are going to be so different than all the other dads. I mean, other dads could just literally stand and dispose of their children. There should never be a Christian dad who disposes of his children is what Paul is saying. Christianity has always been and always will be countercultural. It will always go against what are considered to be the social norms. So he says to the Christian dads, you, you don't operate by this Roman law. There's a higher law by which you operate, the law of God. The law of a dad who loved you so much that he gave his only son for you that you might become his son, that you might become his daughter. God is the ultimate papa. He's the ultimate daddy. And and so all of a sudden, everything is ordered by this. So what are dads to do? Do not provoke your children to anger. All right, so, so don't be so hard on them. They're always angry at you. They're always frustrated with you. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. That phrase means to nourish and cherish to maturity. To nourish and cherish to maturity. Dads, our goal for our kids is that they grow up, right? That's it. We want our kids to grow up. And what does that look like? Well, when your kids are born, they are dependent on you. Right? They are. They can't go anywhere. They can't do anything unless you pick them up and take them. So kids are born completely dependent little creatures. And all of a sudden, your entire world changes because everything in your life, you've got to take care of that little kid. You've got to get him from point A to point B until he starts to crawl, and then it's worse. 
Because then he's into everything, he's doing everything, and all of a sudden you're thrilled the day. I mean, it's the only, it's hilarious when you celebrate things like potty training and all of this kind of stuff that you get so excited about. But that is the case. That's what we as dads do. We as, mom, uh, as daddy moms, dads and moms, look forward to the day when our kids grow up and uh, they, they go from dependence through a period of, of independence. What is that? Well, it's when kids start to think that they don't need us. Any parents ever been through that? Your kids go, and, and there's this give and take, and they'll think, ah, I could do this on my own. And parents, you do well to let them do some stuff on their own during that time. They need to develop this independence, and then it goes into interdependence. That's the ultimate goal. And when parents, uh, uh, that's, that's when uh, kids become parents usually, or maybe they get college a little bit older and they become parents, and they look back at their parents and realize their parents really were smart. Like they really knew what they were talking about, and they're, oh, That's why you said this, and that's why you did that. That is our goal with parenting. And what happens? The stakes get higher. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. A couple words about that. Number one, that is a, a probability, not a promise. All the Proverbs are probabilities. So it doesn't mean it's a guarantee if you train up a kid in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Here's how you ought to read that. Train up a child in the way he should go. And most likely, more than likely, when he's old, he won't depart from it. More than likely. Now, that word, train up, uh, or that phrase, in the way he should go, is fascinating. It literally means in the Hebrew, according to his bent. According to his bent. What does that mean? That means if you have more than one kid, they aren't alike, right? It's just the reality. If you have more than one child, you will discover that you've got one kid who's this way and another kid who's another. One of my my, uh, kids is in uh, Greenville, South Carolina today. She's a sophomore or a junior in college, and my son is sitting here, and they're totally different. Uh, Hannah, growing up, all I had to do is give her the look. If I give Hannah the look, she would just melt. All right, she's that. And Trent, if I give him the look, he just gives it right back. <laughs> I mean, that's just Trent. He, it just takes much more than the look to get to Trent. Whereas for Hannah, it just took the look. They're just different. And so, so circumstances and consequences have to be different depending on the kid. That's just the reality of parenting. And if you have good parents, you hear you have good parents, they realize that. They may have had the same rules, but the way they administered them had to be different. Why? Because one thing works with another kid, and it doesn't work with another kid. You know, there are some kids, if you take something away from them, they're like, oh, okay. And other kids, if you took their phone, they'd think the world was coming to an end. So it's probably why you should take their phone. All right, that's probably why you should do it, because they'll think the world's coming to an end. And and another kid, you just tell him, you know, he's grounded or whatever, and he'll think the world's... You just discover that. You discover what motivates your children. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, most likely, he will not depart from it. According to his bent. How does that play out? So, So dads, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't be too hard on them. But bring them up. 
Get them to maturity to grow up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline is the negative, is the positive side, actually. Instruction, the negative side. How does it work? Discipline is teaching them everything they need to do. All right, so when you discipline your kids, you teach them positively what they need to know, what they need to do. Instruction, the word in the original language, implies warning. Warning about what they shouldn't do. So when you discipline your kids, you, on the positive side, say, hey, this is God's plan and purpose for your life. I can see this. And you begin to structure experiences in their lives, situations in their lives that move them toward maturity. Consistency is the name of the game. You've got to have the same rewards for the same behaviors, the same rewards for the same attitudes, the same consequences for the same wrong behaviors, and you have to consistently do it again and again and again. That's what it means to, to discipline them. But to, the give, to give them instruction literally means to put in the mind what shouldn't be. You have to get into their minds what shouldn't be. They have to be warned. Let me pause for a moment. All our college students understand this. All our high school kids understand this. Most middle school kids understand this. But parents, we grew up without this. There is a whole new arena of parenting that we didn't experience as kids, but now we have to navigate. It's called technology. And parents, I would just say to you, you have to be so stinking careful at how much you allow, at what age you allow, at the boundaries that are necessary around available technology with your kids. It's a whole different world. And college students and high school students and up in this room, you have the advantage in one sense that you have kind of grown up in this crazy technology age, which is fantastic and wonderful and good, but also invasive and pervasive. And so the question is that you have to answer parents is how much and when should a kid who's going into middle school, 11, 12 years old, have full access to the internet? No. Some of the college kids over here just shook their head, no. No. Should they have a smartphone that, where they can access the internet anytime they want? No. Number one, it's dangerous. There's some straight-up dangerous folks who'd love to know where your kid lives. But number two, immorality lurks in the most unsuspecting places. And so what you have to do as parents is figure that out. You have to, your work as a parent, my work as a parent is so profoundly different 
than my parents. And you can't ignore it. You can't pretend it isn't there. It's the reality of parenting today that frankly did not exist 10 years ago like it exists now. Do you know what it will make you? Sometimes the most unpopular person ever. It will. Be fine with that. I I remember when Hannah got uh, her cell phone, she was going and weren't, wasn't a smartphone. I, I think they were all flip and slide in those days. But she was going into the, she was finishing the eighth grade. And she came to me and she said, Dad, I've done a survey. And I'm one of eight kids who doesn't have a phone. I said, Hannah, isn't it good to stand out? <laughs> she didn't agree. She just couldn't believe she couldn't have a phone and text and all of that kind of stuff. Wendy and I, through the years, have gotten things right, and we've made mistakes in this arena. And you have to feel your way around, and you have to figure it out. I'll just say to you dads, uh, take the lead in this. Step into your kid's world. Don't be afraid to be the unpopular dad. You know, and when they say, oh, all the other kids, well, just tell them to go live with them. They can pay the bills, you know. They can put food in the stomach. No, seriously, just say, listen, God's called me to be your dad. And I'm doing my dead level best to be your daddy. That's what I'm trying to do. And I won't, I won't get it perfectly. This is how right now we think it ought to go down with you and technology. You say, okay, if I err on any side, what should I err on? Your kid's not liking you. And parents, I want you to hear me, and dads, I want you to hear me, all right? And kids, you can eavesdrop and listen in too. Your kids, through their lives, will have many, many friends, but they will only have one dad and one mom. It is not your job to be their friend. Not at all. Deep inside, they don't want you to be their friend. They they want you to be the authoritarian who lovingly says to them, Yes or no. Deep inside, that puts a boundary around them. And they will get up every day of their lives knowing where the boundary line is drawn, and they will bump into it every day. And some days they'll just jump right over it, and you'll have to pull them back. But they will be glad that you pulled them back. So I would say to you men, the stakes have never been higher, and because of that, we are taking a significant initiative that applies to all men in this room, college age and up. For the last three weeks, we have looked at your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids. And while some of you aren't married, it's good training. While some of you don't have children, It's good for you to sit among people who do and to hear and and to know that we together just so want to get this right. But we are so committed to this that we have a group of men who have stepped up and who are going to lead an opportunity for you to be plugged in over the next 10 weeks. So men, here's what we're asking. We're asking for you to make a 10-hour commitment 
to the most important things in your life. If you will look at this insert that you received as you came in, up here it talks about stepping up. And what stepping up is simply a 10-week, beginning the week of September 7th, a 10-week opportunity for you to invest an hour a week with another group of men. What will you do in that hour? You'll watch a video for 30 minutes, and you'll talk about it for 30 minutes, pray a little bit, and you'll go home or go on to work. We have every day of the week, I think, covered. If this doesn't fit your schedule, we'll find one that will fit your schedule. And we have several of those men here this morning, but I want you to check this video out uh, on this study and then um, consider your response. So I'll ask the leaders if you guys will join me up here on stage. These are all the men in our church who are going to be leading these groups that you see on the paper in front of you. These men uh, are, are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and they would be the first to tell you that. But they love their wives, they love the Lord, and they uh, love their uh, children. Uh, Andrew is not going to be leading one, but Jose Larios is going to be leading one that meets in Montree or in Black Mountain. And so uh, that's why Andrew is up here. If you look at the schedule, uh, and I'll just introduce and give the time uh, as I go down, Gail Wilson is going to be 6.30 on Wednesday, but Shaw is going to be 7.30, on Thursdays at your house, right? Kenny Elkins is going to do 3.30 on Sunday afternoons here. Jeff Dominguez, 5 o'clock or 5.30 here on Sundays. 
um, or at PG Baptist. Thank you. Greg Daniels, along with Jake Lynn, are going to lead a group at 530 at St. Mark's Church. We're just out of room here on campus on Sundays. Rob Watson is going to do 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening here. And then Jose Larios. You don't look, you don't look like Jose. Um, uh, Jose Larios, uh, a.k.a. Andrew Walker, on campus at uh, Montreat on 7.30 p.m. on Thursdays on campus at Montreat, and then Dean Blanton here, 7 a.m. at Grace, and then uh, Steve Bush isn't here, but he's going to do a 6.30 a.m. Uh, group on Wednesday mornings at the Visitor Center. So this is, we've tried to cover every conceivable time. After the early service, I had a, uh, somebody come up to me, and he said, if you have anybody who needs another time, just let me know. And so uh, here's what we're going to do, men. I've challenged you for three weeks, in some of you in really uncomfortable ways, and I know it. And I think that's probably why some of you are glad it's only a three-week series. The next week we'll move on to something else. But here's the challenge to you. These men are going to step down front, and you can go ahead and do that right down the front. And our response today is for you to take that connection card. Just find it right now, that connection card, and it gives, uh, just put your name on it, and all I want you to do is to come and hand it to one of these men, the one that you want to be in their group, just like Van is doing right now. That's your invitation time today. Just come up, hand it to, introduce yourself if you don't know him, and say, okay, for the next 10 weeks, I'm going to commit 10 hours, an hour a week. Now, men, this is not a book to read, all right? We know most of you don't like to read. Only a few of us nerds in the room love to read some books. This is a one-hour-a-week commitment for the next 10, week, uh, 10 weeks beginning the week of September 7th. So men, respond and uh, commit to your marriage, to your future marriage, to your walk with God. This is your opportunity to do that.